Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I'm like the Dennis Rodman of ping pong, right? So I figured out in this sport that I can't beat these top players. So I have to find another thing within the sport. So I became the entertainer of the sport. I think this is an important lesson for anybody interested in anything, is to look at all the possibilities. There's not just one goal or else you're unhappy. You've represented the U.S. in North Korea. Yeah, yeah, you can have a lot of footage from, from North Korea. Every time I made a point, people started clapping like crazy. Then I thought I'm going to make this more fun. I'm going to see where I can take this because I'm not going to win this match. So then I said, okay, I'm going to try to engage the crowd. I look up at the crowd and I just start smiling. It was like a chain reaction. I started smiling. They started laughing. I wanted to try to get the real expression because that you can't fake. There's nothing in the manual that says if that black guy smiles, you have to laugh, right? That's something that's genuine. So that's what I wanted to get. Then... After the match, you know, you have to shake hands, right? We're walking towards each other. You can tell this guy is scared or nervous, and he barely touches my hand. So I grabbed him, pulled him in, and gave him a huge hug, and I held him. <laughs> and then he goes into a smile. And that was the other expression I wanted to get, right? He's smiling. That you can't make up. What was the crowd doing? The crowd was cheering. They were cheering because both governments hate each other. And here, me and this North Korean guy were bonding. 
over ping pong. If you're hiring, pay attention. Finding great talent can be tough. Thanks to ZipRecruiter, it's now much easier. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. If you could take a vacation anywhere in the world, where would you go? Princess Cruises sails to over 360 destinations worldwide, and there's never been a better time to plan a vacation with Princess Cruises than during their most popular sail of the year, and it's called Sip and Sail. Book a balcony or above and get the best all-inclusive beverage package at sea for free. Just visit princess.com slash James for details. That's princess.com slash James. All right, I'm here with Wally Green. Wally, how's it going? I'm good, good. Wally, I've been taking ping pong lessons from you and figuring out your story all along the way. You're one of the, the best players of ping pong in the U.S. You've represented the U.S. in North Korea. And uh, how many countries have you represented the U.S. in? All of them. <laughs> all of them, so like 190 countries. <laughs> and, almost all of them, almost all. And you're a co-founder of the Ping Pong Club Spin, and you're also the creator of the documentary The Tables, which is like getting awards all over the place and touring all around. You were, just came back from Palm, the Palm Springs Film Festival. What's the next film festival you're going to be in? Uh, it's called Walla Walla, almost like my name. It's in? It's in um, Washington State. Okay, and... And, you know, as we've been playing, you've been giving me lessons and two things occurred to me. One is I've been playing ping pong for 40 years. Like I had a table when I was nine years old in my basement. And I realized play, 40 years later playing ping pong with you that 100% of the things I've been doing for, for all of these decades is wrong, 100% of them. <laughs> Everything you've taught me is completely different than how, I start, how I've been playing for decades. The other thing is, you have a pretty intense story. Like when you were 13, you weren't playing ping pong. What, what were you up to at the age of 13? Uh, when I was 13, uh, I was in a gang. So um, I owned six guns at 13. You owned six guns? Yeah. What kind of guns? <laughs> I had two 380s. I had a, um, a very old school pistol that we we actually found this like in our hood and stuff, and a few more stuff. We had a sort of shotgun. Uh, what else? And that was pretty much it. We had a couple other stuff. So so a three eighty. What's that? What is that? A three eighty is a kind of small. It's a very small kind of pistol. Uh-huh. You know, it's a. It can be as a semi automatic, but it's a pretty small. What does semi auto mean? Like you don't have to. Um... Well, you can kind of like, you don't have to like click, click, click like this. You can kind of hold. Yeah. And it'll just keep firing. Yeah. And do you ever have a chance to use any of the guns? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we had a lot of, you know, fights and got into a lot of stuff, but you never really stay around to find out 
if you hit somebody or stuff like that. Like people don't, I mean, you shouldn't stay around. Now, were you being shot at also? I've, I've gotten hit twice, actually. Where, where but I'm very lucky in my calf and across my knee in two separate occasions. Um, I've been, I've had guns, you know, pulled out on me numerous occasions. But yeah, I mean. What, what was happening? Like, were you, when you say again, like, was it selling, were you selling drugs? Were you, what oh, were you no, doing? actually, actually, I never got into selling drugs. Um, I grew up in Marble Projects and uh, there were like three different gangs. I mean, some people were selling drugs, but it was more of a protection thing. So if you didn't join one, I mean, you had to join something, right? Because if you didn't join something, you got beat up by all three. Hmm. So you picked one and, you know, and everybody just fought against everybody. Sometimes it's just meaningless nonsense. Why are you looking at me? I mean, the one time I almost got shot, it was just based off, yo, why are you looking at me? Or why are you grilling me? Hmm. So it's kind of always kind of stupid stuff like that. And how did you get out of that? Oh man, um, like like how many how many people? I mean, it's kind of the classic story. It's almost a cliche, but how many people did you grow up with that are no longer here? All of them. All of them. Yeah. So I don't have any. I don't have any friends from when I was younger. Yeah. All my friends are new friends, mostly coming from ping pong. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Pretty much all of them, and then some. And music. Like most of my friends are from ping pong and music. So so how did you get out of that lifestyle? Um, when I was about. 19 years old uh i met a I, I got interested in ping pong because i went to this pool hall and i had just this is funny because i had just stolen <laughs> a really expensive pool stick i didn't really steal it well sort of kind of stole it i bought a pool stick that we're was not calling a, the police so it's okay yeah, <laughs> i bought a pool stick that was at a cheaper price and then i wanted to take it back and when i went to take it back I saw a pool stick in a bin, and I say the guy said I could change it for any one of the pool sticks that was in there. Apparently, someone picked up a really expensive one and put it in that bin. I don't know why, but I saw it, and I saw the price tag. So I took the tag off of it, and I said, hey, I want this one. And the guy was like, all right. So anyway, I had this pool stick. I thought I was good. I went to a pool hall. Um, I started to try to you know make a little money to try to hustle, and I got hustled. Got angry. Broke the pool stick, and then there was some Asian dudes playing ping pong at the on the ping pong tables in the pool hall. And then I was so angry, and I was like, "Yo, I want to hit the ball." <laughs> and they were like, "Can you play?" I was like, "Not really." So they gave me the racket, and the first shot I hit on the table because I used to play also tennis. I, I played a lot of sports, and uh, they was like, "Oh my god, you can play!" I was like, "No, nah, it was just one hit." And it was like, "Well, there's a ping pong club on 50th Street and 11th Avenue, and if you interested, you can go check it out." So I went there, I checked out this ping pong club and you know, I would go there and nobody would play with me because I sucked. And uh, this guy came along um, and he was like, hey, do you have a partner? And I was like, no. And he was like, you know what? Um, I can pay you $20, you know, every time we play, you know, I, I can pay you 20 bucks if you become my like, you know, partner all the time. And I was like, all right, but I can't really play. You know, I can hit the ball on the table. He was like, that's all I need. All right, cool. So I used to hang out with this guy and just play. You know, we'd meet him and he'd pay me 20 bucks. And it was a hustle because I didn't have any money at the time. So, you know, we'd just play, whatever. And then um, we would talk about my life a little bit. And uh, I was always honest. Like, like I never hit stuff. I was always straightforward. He was like, you know, so what do you do? I was like, yeah, I'm in a gang. You know, talk, I'll talk about my family. And I'm like, the, my gang's a family, blah, blah, blah. And uh, for him, it was like, a movie or a TV show. So like, if you never lived that life or you never understand that life, nobody can understand how a kid has a gun, six guns at 13, right? But if you go live in the hood, 
and you stay there for some time, then you understand how you, I mean, it's not that difficult. So for him, it was like a TV show. Then one day I went to the club and um, I had been down to pick up something and the gun fell out of my bag in front of him. And uh, <laughs> his eyes were so funny. Like, I don't know if he got scared or worried, but he, 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 he just looked and he was like, and normally when that happens, people will run away from you, right? They'll say, oh, this kid's crazy. I'm, I'm out of here. But nah, he just became closer to me. And, and you know, he tried to like, you know, like he never told me, one thing that was cool about him, he never told me, don't do this, don't do that. He was like, you know, you should be careful, you know, it's not safe, you know, stuff, stuff like that. And then uh, he saw that I was like really interested in the ping pong thing. So he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to pay for you to go to Germany to go learn ping pong. So that was the first time I left the country. And How did he uh, know where to send you in Germany? Well, apparently this guy, he had a connection in Germany. Like he, he, he's from Israel, but he's been playing ping pong for a long time. So obviously this guy could play or he played at one time when he was a kid. So he had this connection in Germany in Hanover. And it's a school like where all the kid athletes, like they go and they live there. So he called, he arranged everything. You know, sent me to Germany, paid the trip, paid where I stay. Wow. I had money for food. Like, yeah, it was it was crazy. And how, how long were you in Germany? Uh, I went there originally first for three months. But prior to that, I went to a ping pong tournament in America. And, uh, and it was the U.S. Open. And I wasn't playing at the time. I just went to go check it out. And um, I met some people from Germany. It's actually some famous players, even till today, they're really famous. And I met them there because I was always, you know, I was interested. I was talking to everybody, anybody who was somebody. I was like, yo, you're a team. Um, so you were feeling the passion for ping pong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. So I started talking to all the pros mm -hmm. and uh, they were like, if you ever come to Germany, you should call us up and let us know. So I did that. I was like, yo, I'm in Germany. And then uh, one of my friends' name is Thomas Kynath. He used to play for German national team. He was like, oh, man, you have to come to a place called Hergenshausen. It's on top of Koblenz. So I was like, all right. So I went there, and I just lived there for like another two months. Yeah, so it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. So by the time you got back, were you like pretty good? Yeah, because I played, that's all I did. I didn't do anything else. I just played ping pong every day. All and day. Then, and then when I was in the, uh, when I was in, the town where my friend was, that was very high level ping pong. Like I was the worst by far. Mm -hmm. Like everybody was, cause this was like the Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. So if you know anything about Bundesliga, like soccer or football, they call Bundesliga. Bundesliga is the highest league. So I practiced with the highest league and the winners of Champions League. So Champions League is all the country's top leagues play a competition to see who's the best in the world. Yeah. So I practice with this team, yeah. I mean, there's a saying that you're the average of the five people you spend time with. And so you were spending time with all the best players yeah. in the world. So you were, if you had just been playing like with friends or whatever uh, in no. the park, then no, you wouldn't have gotten good. But no here way. you are, you you put yourself in an environment, um, whether it's through luck because of this guy or, you know, through skill because he saw your your interest and your your beginning skill. You put yourself in an environment where everybody was like great and that kind of probably really propelled you quickly to to greatness right so when did you start playing in tournaments oh so it was weird so like normally you go from this junior stage so i never had that junior stage so i went to germany learned table tennis thought i was good enough the next year i played my first pro tour in in, in uh oh actually in germany i played in germany 
and I got destroyed badly. It was. <laughs> Did that depress you? No, because I didn't. I didn't have a realization for the sport yet and how difficult it was. So I'm, I was really nervous. So. For me, the reason why I lost wasn't because the guy was better, although the guy was way better. It was because I was super nervous, and so because I had that in my head, I didn't get the, I didn't get like depressed about it. I just wanted to, uh, all I gotta do is not be nervous, and I can win. And and how did you eventually overcome that nervousness? I had to set, I had to set goals for myself. So I think like in any sport or with any uh, competitors, you have to have goals that make sense, right? If you're like for me, I was new in the pro level of the sport. I can't say I was saying, "Oh, I want to beat this guy. Uh, I want to win this match," and that was the wrong approach, right? Because when you say that, that means that you don't respect the sport, you don't respect the player. How are you going to beat the guy who started at three years old when you started at nineteen? Right? It's highly unlikely. So it wasn't until I started setting goals. I was like, "All right, you know what? I'm not going to say I want to beat this player. I'm going to say what the game is eleven points." I'm gonna. I want to get five points every game. Even if I lose four zero, if I get five points every game, then that's a win for me, right? Because this guy started at three, I started at nineteen. It's a different level. So I started that way. Then after that, I would say, all right. Once I was able to get five points in every game, then I would say, okay, I just need to take one game. If I take one game out of four games, then for me, I win. So it's a mental thing. So I, I set my brain to be the winner with goals that I set. If I was able to complete a goal that I made, then in my mind, I won the match, even though I didn't win the match. And, and, and that's how I did it. So it went from making five points every game to um, taking one game, then to trying to take more than one game. Mm. So I never ever thought about, I want to try to win the match. And if I did win the match, then that was good. But if I didn't, at least I conquered my goal and I was happy from that. So the first time you won a match at like this pro level, were you like jumping on top of the table? Like how did it feel? Well, actually in the in the international pro level, I've never won a match. I've got well I never I've came so close. And then there's another mental thing too. So when you're winning, the first thing you do is like you said, ah, oh, I can win this match. You lost the match. Once you say that you've already lost mm. you can't you can't stop, you you because what happens is um when you mentally say i can win this match then mentally you think that at this point in this time you're better but you're not better the guy is better than you by far so instead of saying you can win this match you have to say i need to win this point mm. right so now you focus on one point and not the whole match so i've lost a few matches like that mm. like few matches just by saying, ah, yeah, because, you know, you get happy, right? You're always losing, so finally you can beat this guy and you get happy. I'm going to win this match. But no, you can't win the match because you have to win the point first. So you know? so two lessons from that is like you can't you can't celebrate before you really finish yeah, the work. Yeah, exactly. And, and the other thing is, is kind of focusing on the moment because any sport is about how you're performing right then at right. that point. It's not about kind of the whole strategic match or whatever. Right, you got to right. focus on like being your best right. so you can keep winning that point. Right. I mean, I, I, I give a perfect example of that. In 2002, so the ne- the first tournament was Germany. Next tournament was in, in Rotterdam, right? And uh, 
I played, I was playing, I played this guy from England, killed me, no chance, lost. Then I played another guy from Russia, killed me, no chance, lost, right? Then I had to play a guy from China, right? Chinese national team. China is the best by far in the world. And for years, they've always been the best. But um, so I played this guy from China. I still remember his name till today because I'll never forget his name, Chen Junji. So I played this guy and um, first game, he kills me. Second game, kills me. And so uh, my German friend was coaching me, right? And my German friend, you know, he learned a lot of kind of like ghetto from me. Cause I teach him all this ghetto talk, whatever. So he was like, come on, Wally, come on. You have to fight. You must fight. He said, you must fight. Come on. Boop, boop, boop. He's doing this, right? So then, okay. So I go back, right? And um, I serve a long ball to this Chinese guy and he misses the ball, right? Hmm. And How then, can he miss it? Oh, it was ace. It was fast. It was huh. ace. Like he, he, he didn't even touch it. It was gone. Hmm. And then when, he, when, when I did that, you know, I, went, I saw I won a point from the Chinese team and I went, yeah, so loud. Like I yelled so loud where everybody was like, what the hell? So this made this guy nervous, right? Because he has never seen anybody like me play ping pong. And at that, I'm yelling to the top of my lungs every time I make a point. So to make a long story short, uh, there was a point, the score was 3-2, right? So I took two games off a Chinese national team guy. I've only been playing a year pro, Right. Not because I was better, because I was mentally in his head. So that's another thing about ping pong. It's 90% mental. So I'm in this guy's head, and it's 3-2, uh, uh, what is it? 3-2-9-6 for me. 3-2-9-6 for an American guy against Chinese. It's crazy. And uh, so the, the Chinese coach was so angry. So the Chinese coach called timeout. If you get a Chinese coach to call timeout, that's like, You've won right there. I mean, that's that's insane. That so, guy, your your opponent, must have been scared because he was scared to what, death. What would be the punishment if he I if mean, he lost to me? Yeah, <laughs> it's a wrap. It's finished for him. He, he lost to some black dude from America who been playing table tennis one year. Like, no, it, it's done. So my my German friend speaks Chinese, and the Chinese coach was yelling at him. Are you crazy? I've never seen this guy from anywhere. If you lose to this guy, you will never play this sport in this country ever again. You're done. And so what I did wrong was, as I said before, I said in my mind, oh man, I can win this match. Let me calm down. And then I lost. I lost straight points. Oh no. And, and not because he was better than me. I mean, he was much better than me, but because in my brain, I thought I could really win against a player that was so high. And instead of continuing what I was doing, I tried to calm down so that I could focus on winning. When you and when you're playing wrong. a game like that or or at a high level, yeah. how much do you think is psychological as opposed to skill based? Ninety percent psychological. It, wow. It's so. I mean, I've seen. Do you think I've, that's true for everything? Pretty much. I mean, if you can get in someone's head, it doesn't matter how good they are. Mm. I mean, and, and 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 you can tell like it's it's happened in football where players have gotten other players' head, made them angry, and gotten them kicked out of the match. That's all planned. It's all psychological. Yeah. So like you you told me once. Um, You've played a lot of different sports like yeah. uh, basketball. I think you said wrestling. Wrestling, I'm not sure. yeah. Uh, tennis, tennis, ping yeah. pong. Uh, you mentioned a bunch of other sports. And you said ping pong is the hardest. Yeah, by and far. And I've told that quote to a couple of people and nobody believes it because, for instance, why would ping pong be harder than tennis? You see, when they don't believe you, tell them to come play me a match and I'll use my cell phone. Right. 
And when I beat them with my cell phone, they'll understand. Oh, you'll use your cell phone as yes. the bracket. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then when I beat them with this, see, that's, that, that's why I started playing with my cell phone a lot. I actually started playing, I used to um, do stuff with the tennis channel, the tennis channel open. Uh-huh. So I used to go there to Las Vegas and, and do some ping pong exhibitions. And I always, that's why I started playing with a cell phone. Because someone didn't show up and I wanted, I needed to do something. So I came up playing with the cell phone. And all these tennis players came and they thought they were bad. And I would beat them with my cell phone. Now, if someone can beat you with their cell phone, then that sport's got to be really difficult if you thought you were really that good, right? Right. Yeah. So it's, it's like for me, it's, it's the most difficult sport because it's so complicated. Nobody understands what goes on. Nobody has no idea. In tennis, if I've never played tennis and I look at it, I understand what's going on. The guy throws the ball up. The guy serves it. They play rally, rally, rally. You can see what's going on. But in ping pong, you have no idea. You have no clue. I can make a serve. In the middle of serving, I can change the spin and you won't even know what's going on. So most people, the reason why people don't think it's difficult because they don't understand what's going on. All they see is a ball going back back and forth. That's all they see, but they don't know when, like, for example, yesterday I was playing at my club spin and uh, it's, I wish I could show you this. It's the funniest shot ever. So I'm playing against this guy with my mini paddle, right? And he's good. He's a tournament player with my mini paddle. And uh, So the he, mini paddle, just to be clear, is like, something like one fourth the size oh, yeah, of a regular paddle. Yeah, one fourth the size of a regular paddle. And so um, he plays the ball on the table, it goes short and I'm watching his body. And what I do is I put my racket under the table, I move it a certain direction Right, and then I change the direction and throw it up. So now the ball is spinning, right? But you don't know where the ball is spinning. He just sees it coming this way. He moves this way. The ball hits, goes the opposite direction. He's like over there. Hmm. So like most people, like you, you don't have any idea of what's going on in the sport, and that's why it's a difficult sport for TV because people can't understand what's happening. Like you, you nobody knows what's so happening. much is like hidden. Like right. even when you serve, like you're hiding behind. That your your body there while well, you well actually actually you don't hide the serve I mean you can serve but there's so much things going on with your wrist you know there's so many different ways to serve there's you know tennis has pretty much three serves pretty much I mean you have your flat serve you have your side spin this way and if you're and if you're uh, right hand you have a side spin that way so there's only three spins you can produce on a serve right top spin side spin top spin left side spin top spin right and that's it. Then you're done for tennis. In table tennis, right? You have underspin, you have bottom spin. I mean, you have underspin, you have top spin, you have side spin, underspin, side spin, left underspin, right uh, side spin, right underspin. The same with top spin. Then you have multiple ways to serve the same service. I can serve underspin about four different ways. The same underspin server, I can do four different motions. And serve the same serve. So I might serve underspin to you like in one way, and then I'll serve the same underspin to you in another way. And you'll think it's another serve. And 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 the key is for your opponent, they have to know what you're doing right. to respond, or else like if you're hitting something, and this gets complicated, I guess. But if you're hitting like an underspin, and right. I think you did a normal topspin serve, right. it'll go just once I hit it, it'll go straight down into the net. Exactly, exactly. So you have to actually know. So there's like oh, microseconds to, to plan. Right, right. And you have to see exactly what I'm doing. You have to see the contact of the ball. You know, whereas, whereas tennis, 
I see the contact of the ball. It's so easy to see. I just need to be in the right position at the right time to play the ball back in tennis, right? But here, you can you can be right at the table. It doesn't matter because the ball might hit the table, take off another direction. So how did you how did you go from that to like obviously you've you've played for the U.S. Uh, uh, in lots of different countries. How did you end up playing in North Korea? I know you did that oh, fairly recently. Yeah. So um, so you know I came up with this, this idea that okay everybody in the world's been playing since three. I started at nineteen. Do you I, ever feel like guilt, like bad about that? Like no like regret? No, I like, love it. Oh, I mean, in, in a case, you know, sometimes I say, ah, I wish I would have started the sport younger, but I used to make fun of people playing ping pong. So when I was on a football team, they had it in my high school uh-huh. and I used to just laugh and abuse these kids all the time. So <laughs> yeah, but um, nah, I, I, I mean, sometimes I wish I would have played younger because then I would be much better, right? you know, and I would have had that, that junior circuit time, yeah. you know, but it's all right. I don't mind. So North Korea. Yeah. So um, so I figured out in this sport that uh, I can't beat these top players, right? It's it's so I have to find another thing within the sport. So I became the entertainer of the sport, right? And by so, the way, I think this is, a, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I think this is an important lesson that you obviously have a huge passion for something. Yeah. You're you're great, one of the best out there. But it's not like you. There's only one goal. It's not like you have to be the ping pong world champion. Right, right. You've ended up doing a documentary on ping pong, hip hop songs on ping pong. Right. You started what's an incredible, maybe the best in the world now club for ping pong right, that's expanding right. all over the country. Uh, you do so many things relating to ping pong, and like you say, you've you've traveled all around the world representing the U.S. for ping pong. So. I think this is an important lesson for anybody interested in anything is to look at all the possibilities. There's not just one goal or right. else you're unhappy. Like there's lots of ways to be happy doing the thing you love as opposed to being, you know, having only one goal to be happy. Right, right. Oh, and uh, one thing um, about the documentary, I'm not the creator. We got to give props to the director. Okay. John Bunning, amazing director. But um, yeah, about, about North Korea. Um, so I figured out, you know what? I'm a black dude. I'm a black hip hop dude who I'm like the Dennis Rodman of ping pong, right? And uh, those players might be better than me, but they're not cooler than me. I'm probably the coolest ping pong player in the world. So I figured that out. <laughs> very, because, very humble. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you why I figured that out because all the top players in the world will say, will always come to me, yo, Wally, what's up? Because they see my videos on YouTube. So they're like, yo, what's up? So even like the Chinese, the Chinese don't talk to nobody. When they see me, they go, hey, Wally. Even They can't even speak English. They give me that little nod and a smile. Uh-huh. So then I was like, oh, you know what? All right, I got to change this around. I'm not trying to win anymore. I'm just trying to set a trend in making this sport cool. So I'm going to do everything that it takes to make this sport cool. If I play a match, I'm going to do funny stuff. I'm going to be funny. I'm going to try to make great shots, even if it's just one amazing shot, you know, do stuff like that. So um, every year I try to do something really big. And uh, I saw there was a tournament, a world tournament on the ITTF website, which is the International Table Tennis Federation. It's the body which governs table tennis around the world. And it was a North Korean pro tour, right? And I was like, Wow, it's a North Korean pro tour. And I read about Dennis Rodman going to North Korea. And I was like, oh my God, I got to go to North Korea. I was like, I, there's no way I don't go. I was, I was like, I have to go to this tournament. I have to. And so uh, I researched it a little bit. And um, 
I watched all the documentaries about North Korea. That's when I got interested in North Korea. I watched all documentaries. They were, of course, all bad. They're all terrible. And I was like, oh my God, I have to go to North Korea. So I called the U.S. team and I said, hey, can you guys sign me up? And they were like, what? I was like, yeah, I want to go to North Korea. And they were like, um, we don't think that's a good idea. And I was like, I'm not asking. I'm telling you that I want to go to North Korea. And everybody was tell and everybody told me, everybody was like, don't go to North Korea. Don't go to North Korea. It's not safe. It's not safe. It's so dangerous. I said, I don't care if it's dangerous. I grew up in the projects. I'm not afraid to go to North Korea. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? They capture me and torture me? I'm like, I'm not worried about that. And I believe, like, if you, no matter where you go, if you're smart, you pay attention to your surroundings, you don't get into trouble. You don't get caught up in stuff unless you're doing something you're not supposed to or you're not paying attention. You're so like, like this that. kid who just died. He, he, was, oh, he, was caught, he was in prison for a year, but he was like messing with their flag listen, or the listen, picture. Listen, listen, listen. One thing about that, and I was just talking about this too, you know, I feel bad he died, but first of all, any country you go to, it doesn't even matter if it's not North Korea. You need to research the rules and the regulations of that country. If you're a Westerner, if you're a Westerner, you're being recorded 24-7. Nowhere you go, there's not a camera. There might be even maybe a tap in your room. You don't know that. But you're being recorded everywhere you go. So to go and try to steal something on the basis that you want to get into a fraternity, that's kind of stupid. Yeah, so... So, so it's not like it's not like he deserved what he had, but he just wasn't being smart about right. his surroundings and circumstances exactly. and so on. It's hard to put it because you don't want to say he was asking for it because obviously right. he wasn't. But he was definitely taking the risk that something bad right. was going to happen. Didn't, he didn't really understand how serious the North Korean culture is. Do you think the U.S.? I mean, this is not even like really the a topic I yeah. usually talk about, but you think the U.S. should take any kind of reaction? They really they really can't do anything, man. I yeah. mean, it, the laws of a country, it's like if someone comes to our country from another country and they violate the laws, they will be prosecuted here. It's yeah. the same thing with every other country. Every country has their level of what their law is. You can't say it's wrong. You can't say it's right. It's their level of what their law is. And if you violate it, you have to be prepared. I mean... I, 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 I've experienced this in Japan. I got arrested for three, I was held for three months. You were, what? You yeah. were held for three, you didn't yeah. tell me this. Uh, you were held for three months in Japan? Yeah, man. What happened? 0. 0.76 grams of weed. Which and that's is, three months. Which is not even enough to roll a half a joint. Huh. I was with some friends of mine who are rappers and uh, they all, we were hanging out, you know, having a scythe, you know, some freestyle. And cops came. Most of them ran away. And I wouldn't tell the cops who they were. And I was held for three months. And I never knew that weed was so serious in Japan. I never knew that. Nobody never told me this. And ever since then, I research every country before I go to. So wait, being held in jail in Japan, was for that- three months. Do they have like crappy jails or what are their jails uh, like? Well, like for me, it was bad. It was, my situation was kind of equal to what they would say, solitary confinement. And it's so funny because like recently I've been watching a lot of like uh, uh, the baddest jails in the world or whatever. And so solitary confinement is you being in a cell by yourself 23 hours a day. And that was me for three months in Japan. Yeah. And so mentally, how do you get through that? Um, in the beginning, it was really tough, but um, I wrote a lot. So I, I wrote a diary of every day 
because it's a J- Japanese system is very, very, very intense. It is, you get interrogated every day because they want to get more information out of you. Then they send you to a prosecutor. You know, they can hold you 24 days without conviction, takes one month to get trial date. And then the craziest thing, the, the hardest time being arrested there, the hardest time comes when you go to court. It's a trial. It's a real trial. It's, it, it's, it's like, you know, like you're John Gotti and it's like, it's crazy. So you go to court, they give you your sentence first. So they tell you, you're going to get three years. Then you have to go back to the cell and you stay there for a month to get the a decision. Then you go back for the actual decision. So they give you sentence first. Then you wait 30 days, go back and get a decision. You, you know what that's like? So they're telling you, you're getting three years. You may not get it or you may get it, but now you got to sit 30 more days knowing the sentence that you're getting. So that's like super intense. It's so stressful. It's like, you can't believe it. But I'm pretty strong. Like I said, I grew up in the projects. You know, I think if it was anybody else, like they would have definitely like like flipped out. But you and, know. And so you went back after 30 days. Well, I went back after 30 days uh, and um, I put on a good act though. Like I, I forced cry. So I think I think I, I should have got like an Emmy Award or something for that. <laughs> I put on the best. You should see, I was crying. I was like, oh, I won't do it again. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't speak. It was so funny. It was, and uh, the, the judge... Um, I, You'll, oh, you also have to write a letter. It's called a reflection letter. It's so stupid. You have to write a reflection letter and you have to say what you did, why you did it, why you won't do it again, right? Now, as Americans, we don't want to never put blame on ourselves. We never want to say, oh, I did that because I was bad. No, we say, well, I smoked that weed because, you know, I just wanted to hang out. We were hanging out, right? And so, so, so they said, what do you do? Well, I had 0.76 grams of weed on my possession. Why did you have it? Because me and my friends were just hanging out. Why you won't do it again? Because I don't want to get in trouble. That's the wrong answer. Mm. The correct answer is, what did you have? I had 0.76 grams of marijuana. Why did you have it? Now listen to this. I had it because my will was weak to do the right thing. And that's what you had to write. Like it's the dumbest. I don't even talk like that. But I had to write that. Like it, it's so serious. So I had to write. You have to make yourself look bad in order for the judge to feel like you're sorry. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, it was it was really hard. And then, and then when you're in court, you have to look at the judge all the time. They tell you you must look straight at the judge. Like it was intense. But I got lucky, and um, my lawyer was like, "You're gonna get deported." And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get deported. This is going to be crazy. I'm going to kick off US team. Everybody's going to know. And 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 uh, I didn't get deported. I got really lucky. They 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 just gave me what they call shikoyuyo in Japanese. It's like three-year probation, which is pretty much meaningless because I don't live in Japan. But now if I want to go to Japan, I have to make a visa to go there. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you hiring? Wait, 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 wait. Don't answer yet. Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Finding great talent can be tough. I know this because I've managed probably about 30 companies. Thankfully, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than any 
other site. Believe me, I know this. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, I can't believe this. My listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Boy, ZipRecruiter, you're such a great sponsor. That's right. You're allowing my listeners to post jobs for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. You know, if you could take a vacation to anywhere in the world, where would you go? I don't know if you remember my podcast with Derek Sivers, but he's a good friend. He lives in New Zealand. Maybe I'd like to go there someday. But whether you want to climb the ancient ruins of Machu Picchu in Peru or walk amongst the intricate architecture and the chanting cherry blossoms of Tokyo, Japan, Princess Cruise Lines can turn your dream into reality. As a matter of fact, voted best itineraries, Princess Cruises sails to over 360 destinations worldwide. And there's never been a better time to plan a vacation with Princess Cruises than during their most popular sale of the year, Sip and Sail. Book a balcony or above, and get the best all-inclusive beverage package at sea for free. Enjoy everything from cocktails, wine, and beer to sodas, specialty coffee, and smoothies as you explore world-famous destinations. Just visit princess.com slash James for details. That's princess.com slash James. Look, it's no secret. The world is still completely changing and your life is going to change with it. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just that you could no longer rely on conventional institutions like the government, Wall Street companies, corporations, schools, whatever institutions you used to rely on for your income and for your financial security of yourself and your family. Sometimes you can't even rely on your friends or family. So you need, you absolutely need to reinvent the way you interact with the world. People ask me all the time, how do I reinvent myself if I'm starting with no money? And I can tell you almost every single time I have ever had to reinvent, I started with nothing. That's why I want to send you absolutely free of charge. One of the most important books I've ever written, a book I believe could really help you if you're in a rut, if you're stuck behind the cubicle, if you want to do your passion or what you love in life, even if you have zero dollars in your bank account, even if nobody else is giving you an opportunity, this is the book I think could help. It's called Reinvent Yourself, and it's the book I wish I could have read 20 years ago, even five years ago, a book like this would have changed my life, but it didn't exist. So I had to sit down and I wrote it myself. And today I want to give you a copy. Sure, you can go to Amazon right now and get the paperback for a good price. But I want you to have a limited edition 
hardcover version on me. All you need to do is go to your computer and type www.jamesfreebooks.com. There, I'll explain everything and give you access to a free hardcover version of my book. Again, the site is www.jamesfreebooks.com. That's www.jamesfreebooks.com. Do it today because I know there's only a limited supply, but do it today while I still have some available. Thanks. So after this experience, even after that, you still were willing to go to North Korea. Yeah, I, I really wanted to A thousand to go. times worse. Yes, yes. But the reason I wanted to go to North Korea, so I researched every, I saw every documentary there is about North Korea. And and and, and, then, and then I thought, you know, I want to be a part of living history. Like, it's how many people can say that they've done their living history? No, it's a very difficult. So I want to be part of living history. So in 1972 is a big historical moment for America. It's called the China Diplomacy, where America established relations with China. So I want to do the same thing, and I wanted to establish my own relation and make my own historical moment. And, and just to be clear, on 1972, the way they established that diplomacy was they sent the ping pong team Yeah, over. it was ping pong diplomacy, right yeah. through ping pong. So I wanted to do the same thing. So I forced them to sign me up and uh, I, I, went to, I went to North Korea. And, um, <laughs> it Were was, the North Koreans good? Oh yeah, North, North Koreans are as good as Chinese. Huh. But the problem is you don't see them often because they're not allowed to play a lot of... West, well, they don't play in any Western tournaments, except if it's world championships. So, so North Koreans play Olympics, world, championship, world championships, and China Open. Mm-hmm. And the reason they play China Open is because they have this connection with China. So if anybody tries to stay there, they're going to get sent back. Right. Right. But, but they'll never play like US Open or German Open. No, you've never seen North, I've never seen North, North Koreans in that tournament. So did you play North Koreans while you were there? Obviously yeah, there. so I, I, I got the, the pleasure of... Actually, when, when I first got there, because I was the only Westerner in this competition, there was no Westerners. Like, when I saw the sign-up sheet, I looked, there were like three countries, and I was the only Westerner. And then I was getting a little nervous, because I, I didn't... I thought some Westerners would be there, but there were none, zero. So um, when I got there, I needed to warm up. I have nobody to warm up with. So they took me to where the North Korean, the North Korean team guys were, and they all looked at me when I walked in. They were like, they were probably saying, "What the f?" <laughs> really? And one of them were forced to practice with me, and it was pretty cool. You know, I took a picture with them. You know, we and we, and we practiced, and then um, I got to play a North Korean. I played a, I played two Chinese and one North Korean, and uh, when I played the North Korean guy, um, it was really crazy because. They had a, the fans, 2,500 people in an arena, and all the fans are North Korean. There's nobody rooting for you. It's just North Korean. And so, you know, we start to play, and I'm feeling good. You know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, you know, my hair's looking good. I'm, I'm ready, you know. And I'm the only Westerner here, so I got to step up my game. So I start playing this guy, and I take the lead quickly. Like, it was crazy. I was putting a beating on him, but probably because he was nervous. Nervous about maybe two things. I mean, it, well, one thing, if he lost to me, <laughs> it's not going to be good for him. Yeah, so so he was probably super nervous. Anyway, I'm taking the lead. And I noticed every time I won a point, the sound was like this. Mm. Like, it was weird, man. It was like surreal. Like, every time I won a point, it was like, mm, right? And I was like, 
And that was just So then he won his first point. I think I was up 4-0. He won his first point, and then he went, hey. Wow. And I looked, and I was like, oh, my God. All right, this is weird. Then he won the next point, and they went louder. Hey. And then people, every time he made a point, people started clapping like crazy. So then I started be, I started becoming really uncomfortable because I couldn't concentrate. It was just so loud. And, mm. and I said, okay, uh, I'm not trying to win this anymore uh, because I was filming. I was filming, actually. And I said, you know, they let you film. Yeah, yeah, you can. I have a lot of footage from from North Korea. Why did they let you film? I would think that would be something that would be. Well, you can film anywhere they bring you. Hmm. I mean, you can't walk in with a big old camera. I mean, I'm filming from my iPhone. Right. And so, then I thought about, okay, I'm filming. I'm gonna make this more fun. I'm gonna see where I can take this because I'm not gonna win this match. It's not happening. I can't concentrate, and and it's and it's too funny. So then I said, okay, in my mind, I'm gonna try to engage the crowd. And see, because it's 2,500 people. They're all looking at me because I'm the only black. Forget about being the only black. I'm the only Westerner, but I am a black dude. The only black dude they've ever seen is Dennis Rodman. And we have the same hair. So they, in their mind, they probably thought, wow, Dennis Rodman plays ping pong too? <laughs> I'm sure that's what they were thinking. So anyway, uh, we start playing again, right? And uh, they started going louder. And so I look up at the crowd, right? And I just start smiling because it's so funny. I just start smiling and then... The whole crowd, it was like a chain reaction. I started smiling, they started laughing. Huh. I was like, oh, that's cool. So then we start playing again. And then I look up for gas, I smile, they started laughing again. So every time I smiled, they started laughing. And it was like a kind of happy thing, right? So for me, it was like I wanted to try to get the real expression, the real feeling from real North Korea, because you're never going to meet real North Koreans. You'll never be around them. It's very difficult. So I wanted to get a real feeling. Like that, you can't fake, right? There's, there's nothing in the manual that says if that black guy smiles, you have to laugh, right? right. That's something that's genuine. So that's what I wanted to get. Then, uh, so the guy won the match, of course. And then uh, after the match, you know, you have to shake hands, right? <laughs> and... Uh, he, he, we're walking towards each other. You can tell this guy is like, I don't know if he's scared or nervous. I don't know what's wrong with him, but his face was looking, it, it was definitely looking a little strange. So he comes to shake my hand. And you know, when you shake your hand, you put your hand out, like a man. And he comes and he's like, Billy touches my hand. So I said, okay, I got this guy. So I grabbed him by his arm, pulled him in and gave him a huge hug. And I held him. <laughs> and his, so my camera's facing that way. And his face goes like scared, like shocked. Because he's definitely never been hugged by a black guy. P- probably never been hugged by a Westerner, period. So the guy's face is shocked, and then he goes into a smile. And that was the other expression I wanted to get, huh. right? He's smiling. That you can't make up, right? Now, I don't know if something what happened. What was the crowd doing? The crowd was cheering. Huh. Like, like they, were, they were cheering because, you know, it was, here you have this American guy, you know, both governments hate each other. And here, me and this North Korean guy, we're bonding over ping pong. And it was so cool, man. People, like everybody was like just happy. And that was what I wanted. And that was the main reason why I went to North Korea. You know, and, that and was the main reason. You said something earlier too, like you like to do one big thing a Every year. year. Yeah. And so it's like, there's a couple of things. One is you mentioned before you're into hip hop, and I've seen you've, you 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 know you've you've made s- songs and you've done other things. It's like you've combined these two interests to become essentially the best in the world at the intersection, right. and then you've used that to create 
to these other great experiences for yourself, like going to North Korea or representing the U.S. all over the place or starting the club uh, Spin? How did uh, how did Spin come around? So that was clearly your big thing one one of these years, right? Right. So so we um we we used to have a, a party, and well even, even before that, um there, there there were three guys. They were filmmakers. They were documentary filmmakers, and uh, they loved ping pong. Right. They had this loft apartment in Tribeca with one ping pong table. It was the first furniture they they ever got. They came to a tournament right where I was playing at, and they were playing this tournament, and uh. I was having an issue with a particular player's coach who was just being really annoying. And uh, even though, you know, I've changed my life, but you, you, the, the, the gangster never leaves out of you. It's always there. You just have to control it. So anyway, this guy's just being really obnoxious. And then I said something to this effect. I was like, if you don't shut the F off, if you don't shut the f up, I'm gonna punch you in the face for ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, and that, and then, and then those guys heard it, and it was like, oh my god, this guy's crazy. Who is this guy? So they came up to me, and it was like, yeah, you know, we're filmmakers, blah blah blah. We have this loft in Tribeca. You should come hang out with us. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went, you know, hung out with them. They had a huge loft, ping pong table. And I would play with them, and um, we we became friends. And I wind up staying there. <laughs> so that was like my home. Loft. Yeah, I had keys and everything. I always I was always there. And uh, we came with the idea, let's have a party. So we would invite friends over just to play ping pong. And they would come hang out with us. And we'd play ping pong in this in this loft. And friends, you know, bring beer, bring whatever you want, and let's just party. Um, the party got really big. And um, eventually we came up with a website called Naked Ping Pong, right? Because naked was the state of mind of how we were feeling, just feeling free, enjoying life. And uh, we got a write-up in a magazine, in a hipster magazine, and it brought so much attention to our website. Then we got sponsors. So Red Bull sponsored us. We got various vodka companies, beer companies. Really? Yeah. They, they were like, well, we can't give you money, but we can give you all the free product you want. Now, it's illegal to sell alcohol out of your apartment. So we said, you know what? Let's make everybody RSVP for a tournament. Right, we charge twenty dollars to get in for the tournament, but alcohol is free because you can give alcohol away. So we did that for a while, and it got really, really big to where we started uh, hosting uh, NBA halftime shows. We did uh, years ago the actual uh, um, um, Super Bowl party when it was in Phoenix, Arizona, with Fifty Cent and Vitamin Energy. So everybody wants to bring our party somewhere. And then in the midst of that, we, so you created this like do-it-yourself, yeah, ping pong club, ping pong club, yeah, in, in an apartment. And then in the midst of that, we met Susan Sarandon, right? Because Susan Sarandon had came by to our party. At, at, at one point, she wanted the guys to edit. The, the original reason she came is one of the guys' assistant is her assistant. I mean, one of the guys' friends is her assistant. So she came by to have this video edited for Tim Robbins real quick, and that's how we met her. Because I remember the first time I saw, her, I was like. You know, you look really familiar. And I didn't realize it was Susan Sarandon. Yeah, so then um, eventually we had to get out of the apartment. You know, all good things come to an end, which starts new beginnings. And then we uh, came up with a business plan and gave it to Susan. And Susan loved the idea. She loves ping pong. And then she helped us start this spin that we have in New York. And that's how spin started. And now how many locations does spin have? We have five ones that are currently open now and two more that will be by September. 
Yeah, so we have New York, Toronto, LA, Chicago, San Francisco, and uh, Austin, Texas is just about here, and uh, and uh, Philadelphia is going to be next. Yeah, so about seven soon. And so this is like your business. This is like your main thing doing spin. Well, I mean, I don't have to do much, right? You know, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a founder, so I don't have to do much. Like we have managers, like an amazing man- managerial staff, and and you know, CEOs or whatever you want to call them. You know, we, we've had a lot of new people come into spin since we've started and and they sort of kind of took over and and you know changed it a little bit and made it better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so at the beginning of this I mentioned how, you know, I've been playing for 40 years but because I never really took lessons, yeah. even though I was playing with my friends all the time and we were always competing against each other and trying to beat each other, it wasn't enough. Like I never really learned. Right. It's kind of like with something that's with anything in life that's hard, you can't just learn on your own, really. You need somebody to tell you when you're doing something that's that's wrong. Like, do you think it's does anyone just start off with all the good habits? Like I remember you you've shown me so many things with like, oh, the hand has to go you know, go down yeah, and the, the wrist angle, goes back yeah, and then yeah, angle yeah. this way. I have to remember all these things very hard and you have to go up instead of around. And it seems like you always need like a teacher and then people to play. Uh, it's, it's, you know, again, after 40 years, why did I have so many bad habits? Why, right. did, I, why so, did I never get better? Okay, so this answers your question from before. And what I said before, why is table tennis the, one of the hardest sports in the world? Think about it. If you took a basketball, right, and you went to the basketball court every day from three years old and you shot baskets, you will be way better than the average person. Right. If you took a tennis racket, you went to the tennis court and you played tennis every day, Every day for 10 years, even two years, three years, you will be better than the average person. This is one of the only sports where that doesn't work. It's true because probably, probably realistically from the ages of nine to 18, you know, yeah. when I was still growing up in my house, I probably played ping pong every day. Right. And I probably even got better, but I didn't get good. <laughs> right. Exactly. So this, this, this is pretty much the only sport where, where, first of all, everybody thinks they're good. Everybody thinks they're good at ping pong. Everybody. And it's the only sport, right? Because in basketball, if you shoot the ball and it doesn't go in a hoop, you're bad, right? It's that simple. Right. But in ping pong, you can look good and be really bad, right? So, and the reason why this sport is so difficult because there's so many things that you have to learn. And even pros are still learning. There's so many different things, the angle of the racket, how you, how you make your wrist, keep keep your elbow down. The footwork, if the footwork is wrong, the stroke is wrong, right? Uh, spins and all this stuff. And that's why people can play 40 years, 50 years, every day. They can play ping pong every day. And I'll still go beat them with my cell phone. And that's why, because, you know, in this sport, it's, about technique, you, you need technique because the sport is one of the fastest sports in the world, right? So with that in mind, you have a 10th of a second to decide what you wanna do. It's like chess, I have to figure out from my shot, what you gonna do? And I have to have options in my head. Okay, I'm gonna serve, he's gonna possibly play here, here, here. If he plays here, I gotta play there. But if I play there, he might play here, so I have to play there. So this is what's going on in your head. Mm. 
quickly as you're thinking. And that's why this sport is so difficult. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember you were showing me one time where, you know, I always try to kill it on the surf, like hit it really fast. And you were like, no, 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 just try this. And then you made like the softest surf possible where I had to like stretch in to re return right. it. And then you re and then it pops up and then you're able to slam it back. Right, right. So it's like you're thinking like a few moves ahead, like ahead. chess, like you just yes, said. Yes, yes. So, and it seems like there's all these scenarios that are possible, particularly right. on the serve and the returns right. and so on. Right, so, so, so that's where the training comes from. Uh, when, when you're doing serious training, you have to try to train all these scenarios that, that can possibly happen because you don't have time to think like, oh, if he goes there, no, it has to be quick. Has, has to be has to be uh, natural. So so we have drills that 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 we do that recreate scenarios of a match. So for example, I get a bucket of balls, right, and I'll serve one to you underspin, and then put maybe one wide forehand, one middle forehand, maybe backhand, maybe and make you move so so that it's natural to your body. So that once you see it, you can react quickly. Like, do you think with any uh, sport or endeavor? Like, how important is the role of finding that teacher early on to avoid the bad habits? Um, in this sport, more than any other sport. Hmm. Because in this sport, the bad habits are so minor, right? You know, it, it, it's just so minor. Like, for example, when you're first hitting, right, if your racket's open, a little bit open, if I tell you just close it just a little bit, that's a huge difference. Right. It's a huge difference. So those things you can never learn by yourself. Hmm. It's Almost, it's so difficult to learn these, but these little things are so difficult to learn by yourself. But like I said, because the, the goals are different. Like I said, if you're at a basketball court, the main goal is getting that ball in the hole. I feel, I feel like with every sport, there's been movies, sitcoms, documentaries, yeah. like, you know, baseball, basketball, yeah, yeah. tennis. There's like a ton of content out there. Right, right. Nobody's made like a ping pong, like the subculture of ping pong kind of well, sitcom or documentary or movie. You did a little with, the, I mean, you did a lot with the with, with the, documentary, documentary yeah. called The Tables, uh, about the tables that you put out in Bryant Park, um, which is right in the middle of, of New York City and, and, and the subculture that's developed around right. that. It's small. It's it's making the film festivals. Yeah. Like what have this won on any awards? Yeah, it's it's one so far. We have four awards. Three are Audience Choice Awards for Best Short Documentary, and then the other one is an actual um, award which comes from the panel of another film festival. And then I'm sure this last one, from the feedback that I'm getting, which I'm going to check today later on, that I'm sure if we didn't win an award in this film festival, I, I don't know, but I, I think we definitely won another award. I hope. How can how can people see it? Like, are you ever going to put it on YouTube? Uh, it will be after the after the film festival season is finished. Then we'll start, you know, doing more screenings in New York, and then we'll put it online. Why doesn't someone pitch like a movie or or a sitcom about like the you subculture of ping pong? Because it's like a whole subculture down there at yeah, Spin, for instance. Yeah, so, and this is the reason why our documentary is doing so well. The documentary cannot be about the sport. The reason why is because ping pong is not a big sport in America. Nobody doesn't really know about it. So it can't be about the sport. It has to be about some type of human connection as, and the sport being as a side thing. And that's why our documentary is doing so well. If our documentary was about ping pong only, 
and the sport, it would never do well. But because it's about the connection and how this sport brought, brings together the most amazing people and the most the characters are so different from your multi-billion dollar business guy to your homeless guy that play together every day. And that's what makes the story. So they would have to find a way to, to, to make a movie that has human connection and not just the sport. Right. But there is one successful ping pong there's one very successful ping pong movie, actually, and it's really cool. And it's called Ping Pong, and it's from Japan. So there's a movie called- Oh, I don't know it. Yeah, it's a movie called Ping Pong that comes from Japan. And it's a really cool movie because they made it like a comedy, but then it's serious at the same time. But it doesn't make the sport- See, and there's another problem too. So a lot of people, when they do a movie about ping pong, they make it into a type of comedy that's not cool. So that's a huge problem. Like Balls of Fury did it. Um, another movie, I can't remember, did it, right? So they have to find a way to make it. It can be funny, but still let people understand it's a real sport and you have to train and it's serious, right? So this particular movie from Japan called Ping Pong does it perfectly. It's funny, but then you can see, wow, man, those guys are serious. So, So what's... What's next for you? Like, uh, you know, what's your next big, you, uh, b- big thing? So my next big thing is now that I got all this motivation from being at all these, uh, all these um, film festivals. I mean, it's the first time in my life that I've been to. I mean, I've went to one with Susan, and I went to San Diego one time just to do some event. But I've never been to so many film festivals in in the period of two months. So now I have so much motivation to finish my own documentary. So I'm doing my own documentary called uh, My North Korean Ping Pong Diplomacy. Hmm. And it's about my trip in North Korea. And uh, and it's going to be the first document. So I like to do things also that I want to be the first that, right? I'm the first person to make the world's first hip hop song about table tennis, over 100,000 views. You know, I'm the first person. What's the name of it? How can people find it? Uh, it's 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 called it's called I forgot the name of the song. What's the name of the song? It's called. Uh, well, if they YouTube wait, wait, Wally Green, I forgot Green. my song's name. That's crazy. <laughs> if, if they go to your channel, Wally Green, yeah, it's Wally Green. You, you'll, you'll find it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, oh, it's called a game nobody knows. Yeah. So the world's first hip hop song. You know, I'm the first person in the world to play ping pong with an iPhone. It's I, I do all first the, thing the front. The front of the no, phone? the back of the phone. The back. Okay, you don't want to crack the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 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 I like to do a lot of you know first things. So, my documentary is going to be the first documentary about North Korea that's not bad. <laughs> like all the documentaries are just you know they're just bad. You know? When you were there, like were they following you around the whole time? Like did yeah. you have handlers that were always with you? So, so, so you have a guide, and your guide. Um, that person is responsible for bringing you everywhere. So you can't just leave. It's, 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 it's not like you wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to go across the street to the park. Nah, you don't leave that hotel ever unless the guy comes and gets you and takes you. So for example, um, I was there for, I was supposed to be there for a week. Uh, in the fourth day, I was like, listen, we need to really go to the park. Or do I, I, we, we need can we go outside? That's what I said. In my mind, I was thinking outside was there's a beautiful park across the street. And I thought, oh man, you know, I want to go out. And, she, and the guy goes, yeah, okay, we'll go out tomorrow. So I'm very happy. Oh man, I'm going to get to go to the park, you know, walk around. You know where we went? We went right outside in front of the hotel. And that Just was like outside. On the sidewalk? 
it wasn't even like on a sidewalk. It's where the cars pull in. Huh. And I, I told her, I said, hey, can we go to the park? She said, oh, no, 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 it's no, no, can't, can't. What? And then, and then I decided I wanted to leave the next day. <laughs> I was like, I got to get out of here, man. Because there's nothing for me to do, you know. You, you, you don't have Wi-Fi. And, and you know what? And I spoke to them about that. You know, I had a lot of conversation with the organizers and stuff like that. And, you know, and they explained me their views, you know. And, and, you know, okay, I understand. You don't want Western influence in your culture. I get it. I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. You want to keep the pure Korean culture. That's very understandable. But if you want people to come here, you got to give them Wi-Fi. That's what I told her. I, I said, listen, I said, nobody wants to go to a place where they're cut off from the rest of the world. So, because the, the, the organizer was like, yeah, you know, we, we wish we can get more Westerners to come to this competition. And I said, well, you got to give them Wi-Fi. People have they family, they, they have wives, you know, you know, when when you go somewhere, you need to tell your family or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, yo, I'm safe. You can't just disappear for a week. Yeah. You know, it's not normal. So I told us like, you guys need to make, if, if you guys want more people to come here, you guys need to get well, at least Wi-Fi. It's so important for people to be connected to their family or whatever. You know, and 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 I remember when I got there and I was like, yo, I need to send an email. I gotta tell my wife, like, I'm safe. And they they would look at me and said, No, I said, you don't understand. Like, I really need to send an email. Like, like now. Like, I because sometimes I, I get really intense. Like, no, I gotta send. This is like because I didn't know that you can't send any emails out. So I'm telling my wife, yeah, don't worry, when I get there, I'm gonna email you. Wrong. Nothing. And I said, listen. You guys got to make it happen. Like, I need to tell her that I'm here. And then what they did was they, they took me in a room. <laughs> they took me in a room and uh, they stood behind me and watched me send my email. Oh, my gosh. Yep. It's so controlled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to you know, they, they wanna make sure that you're not trying to do any dumb shit. Well, I'll tell you my takeaway from all this. A, it's been such a pleasure kind of getting good at something that I've loved all my life, yeah. but I didn't realize how bad I was <laughs> until I met you. And it's and it's such a pleasure being on that on the bottom of that learning curve and feeling, you know, all the things to learn and, and it just excites my brain. Like I think that's something people should always do with with things that they're passionate about is they should try to get good at them. But the other thing is I think a lot of times people feel, oh, I'm too old for something. Like you say when you're 19 uh, you know, how old are you now? Me, 35. So you say when you were 19, oh, it's too bad. I didn't start when I was three or many of these champions started at, at three. But I think a lot of people, even when they're 50, might say, oh, it's too bad I didn't start a business at 20 or write a book or do this or that. But I think at any age, you could start something. You might not be the best in the world, but you can, you can combine all these things you love and still make, uh, make something an adventure. Like you've now been involved in hip-hop as it relates to ping-pong, starting a whole business related to ping-pong, like maybe the first of its kind, doing these documentaries, traveling to all these countries. You've made a whole life around ping-pong without having to be number one in the world, but still being, you know, pursuing all these different things that you love, whether it was like video or music or business ownership or athletics. It's kind of the combination of things and figuring out all the things relating to your interest that anybody can do at any age, really. 
There's no, there's no barriers then. Right, right. Like right. all the artificial barriers go away. All the excuses go away because, oh no, but if I combine um, writing with this ex- other experience I've had, now I can do it. Or if I combine business with these other experiences I've had, then I can do it. And that's kind of inspirational for me too, as I'm always trying to to reinvent. But most importantly, I want to get really great at ping pong. So yeah. uh, well, when's our when's our next lesson? When's our next lesson? It's like Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday, I think. <laughs> All right, Wednesday. I got to work on my surf now. It's so, getting better. What's What's the worst thing you saw in my play when we first started playing? The worst thing? Yeah. Was the technique. Yeah, like which part? Like your elbow all kept popping bad. up all the time. Yeah, because my elbow was like behind well, my was Behind body. your back, and it kept popping up. But but it's it's normal f- for people who don't, who've never played, you know, in the right way. I think also the the holding the racket at the kind of downward, the angle, downward all the angle. time. Yeah, because it was you always call it closing up. the racket, and I I tend to be more open, open with it, like, right, like right. And then straight, you're straight. But now it's getting better though. Yeah, I'm trying. Like there was a few shots that were like really good. Well, you know, Bruce Lee has that saying. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the man who knows ten thousand kicks. I'm afraid of the man who's done one kick 10,000 10, times. times yeah. So so and you always hit like that one shot like just to right, get that right, one consistency right. of shot like over and over right. again. And I notice that's how a lot of the lessons around spin seem yeah, to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's 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 all about repetition. Like you have to do it a thousand times. Like people think you just try to hit the ball harder. No, and that's why I say hit it softly. Hit it softly. If you, if you can do it 1,000 times softly, then you can get onto a little bit harder. But yeah. it's all about rep- repetition. Well, Wally Green, people can find you on YouTube. They can see you hanging out at Spin in any of these cities. Uh, what else? The documentary, The Tables, eventually they should look for it or they should look for the documentary about your North Korean dipl- ping pong diplomacy. And thanks for coming on uh, the James Altucher Show. No problem. It's a pleasure. And, and I just want to say once again, also, Spin is like a great place. I've been going there for, I, I want to say at least... Four years. Uh, when oh, did right. it open up? We opened six and a half years ago. Yeah, so I've been going probably more. I, I remember really? one time. That's yeah, crazy. Oh, I'll tell you one story. One, st- one time I took my uh, daughter there. I guess she was around 11 or 12. And there was it was at night and there was a party there that Bank of America had rented out the place. Uh-uh. And we kind of snuck in and just picked up some rackets and started playing. Oh, that's cool. And um, because all the Bank of America guys were just drinking, they weren't yeah, even yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. And eventually the waitress uh, came over and said, look, you really can't uh, stay here and play. And I offered to pay, but they're like, nah, don't worry about it. And Because all, again, all the Bank of America guys, they, they had just been bailed out by the government. Right, they right. were just partying. They didn't even care about ping pong. And my daughter really loves it. So then I wrote about this, how we did that, how we snuck in and we were polite about it and we offered to pay. Somebody actually wrote an article trashing me saying I was taking advantage of, she actually accused me of having white privilege, that if I had been black, I would never would have been allowed to do that. Like Really? Yeah, someone really tried to trash That's me. so ridiculous. It was totally ridiculous because the Bank of America guys- Word even yeah. using the tales. It was my daughter's birthday. Exactly. I'm with my daughter. Hello. Yeah. Maybe I was using like little red haired girl privilege. But uh, but we we we've loved spin the whole time. It's such a great place, and I love the music there. And uh, you can get lessons there. There's all the pros, everything. So thanks once again, Wally, for the lessons and for coming on the podcast. Hi. Right, thank you. You're welcome. 
For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you and it will only take 30 seconds or less and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now. And it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.